The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I'm going to tell you two stories that are relevant to my family that, again, I think is, is, teaches us this lesson of being energetic and living life to the fullest and not just, uh, you know, going along with the flow, but doing what you feel is right and accomplishing. Have you girls heard of Rav Shalom Shadran? Yes? So Rav Shalom Shadran... You know, people ask me all the time, like, your father, Rabbi Krohn, ha- how did he get, you know, he, now he's like the Maggid of America. But it, it started off with Rav Shalom Shadron, who was the Maggid of Yerushalayim. And my father and him were very, 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 very... And people have asked me, like, where, does, where did that relationship start from? Rav Shalom was from Yerushalayim. My father was from Queens. He still lives in Queens. And where, where did that relationship develop from? So I want to tell you where that, how that relationship started. My father's father, his name was a Ravram Zalikron, he, they were living in Queens, living in Kew Gardens, Queens, and he one time heard a speech from Rav Shalom Shadron. Now, this was before, before even tapes. You girls know what tapes are? Because CDs is like already out of style. So it's like, before CDs, there was tapes, and before tape, there was like these huge reels, like maybe you'll see in like in a museum, like these big recordings, like this huge reel that uh, would go around and around. And he heard one or two speeches from Rav Shalom Shadron that somebody lent him. And my grandfather, he said, "This guy's great. I loved his speeches. I loved his musr, and I loved the way he spoke. And I would love to just to just be connected to him somehow." But how is that, how's that going to happen? There was a guest in the house, and the guest told my grandfather that, you know, I just came back from Eretz Yisrael. I just came back from Yerushalayim. And my grandfather asked this guest, oh, you were in Yerushalayim? Did by any chance, did you hear Abshalom Shadron speak? She so said, yeah, of course I did. He knows that uh, by Shalashu this time, he speaks by in Zichar Meisha. And I heard, he says, wasn't he great? And the guest said, oh, yeah, he was great. They had the, the audience captured. It was, it was mamish great. So my grandfather said, if Rav Shalom ever comes to America, he has to stay in my house. I want him to stay in my house. If Rav Shalom ever comes to America, he's going to stay in my house. So this guest said, what are you talking about? He's coming in two weeks. He's coming to New York in two weeks. So my grandfather said, good, he's staying in my house. So this guest said, don't be silly. You think he's staying in your house? He's coming in two weeks. You don't think he already has arrangements? You don't think he has somewhere where to stay? You know, I'm sure he worked it all out already. My grandfather said, I don't care. He's staying in my house. It's not for discussion. He's staying in my house. Okay. My grandfather found out when Rav Shalom was landing in JFK airport. Before he even went to the airport, before he spoke to anybody, he took a bed and a table chair and a telephone. And those days, this was 1965. That was like a big chidush to have a telephone in the bedroom. You have your own telephone in the house. And not only in the house, but like in the bedroom, you have a telephone. He put it in a room, and this is Rav Shalom's room. This is Rav Shalom's room. Rav Shalom is staying over here. He found out when he's landing in JFK Airport. He took my father and my aunts and uncles in Shabbos clothing to JFK Airport to greet Rav Shalom, to greet Rav Shalom Sharon, that he's staying in our house. Now, my grandfather did not know what Rav Shalom looked like because this was before, you know, the pull-out section in the Yeted and the Hamudia. This was before Gedolim cards and uh, certainly before social media. He didn't know what he looked like. But he figured, listen, 
How many people, probably he has a white beard, um, how many people, or at least, I don't know if he's white, but at least a beard, and how many people are going to be coming off the, the airplane in JFK airport? I'll probably be able to figure out who it is. Sure enough, my grandfather, my father, and my aunts and uncles, they come to the airport. Rab Shalom comes off the airplane. He comes out from the gate. Um, of course, my grandfather figured out in a moment which one was Rab Shalom. It was obvious. He goes over to him, and Rab Shalom says, wait, which way is Mizrach? After the Mincha. And Rab Shalom takes out a compass. Rab Shalom himself came prepared. He had a compass. He figured out which way was east to Mizrach. And in the middle of JFK airport, he damns Mincha. And my grandfather was like, this guy is awesome. I love it. In the middle of JFK Airport, he just he doesn't care what's going on around him. He's davening mincha. He does not bother about anything else. It's like right away, my grandfather said, "I love this. I love this man. This 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 he's great." My father, my grandfather waited till he finished mincha, and he went over to him and he said, "Shamalechem, my name is Avram Zelikron. You're staying at my house." So Rav Shalom had a gabai with him, an attendant with him, and Rabbi told my grandfather, "You know, it's funny." The truth is, he has somewhere to stay, but we just found out that it's not going to be ready for another few days. So the truth is that for the next few days, Rav Shalom does need a place to stay. So my grandfather said, perfect, I already have a bed set up for him. And I already have a table and a chair and a telephone. He could stay, in my, he's staying in my house. So Rav Shalom didn't know my grandfather. Rav Shalom said to his gabai, like, who is this man? Can I trust his kashras? Can I eat in his house? And the gabai happened to have known, not happened to, but the gabai knew my father, my, my grandfather a little bit, and he said, yeah, yeah, you, you could trust him, you could rely on him, you could go to his house. And good, Rav Shalom was coming to my grandfather's house. Rav Shalom comes in, and you know how it is that those of you who go to sleepaway camp, so then when you're in school together with your friends, good, so you know which ones are your friends and which ones are, are uh, not, you're not as close to, which ones you stim with, which ones you go along with. Sometimes you, go, you, know, you meet a girl in camp and just like right away you hit it off. Right away, it's just, you just click. That's the expression. You just, you just click right away. You know how it is. I, I hope you know, some of you know how it is. Rav Shalom and my grandfather, they mamish became best friends overnight. They just hit it off. It was perfect. A few days later, when Rav Shalom's apartment was ready to move to, Rav Shalom said, he told his Gabai, I like it here. I'm comfortable here. I don't want to go to the other place. I like it over here. I want to stay over here. And my grandfather said, of course, pleasure. You could definitely stay. That's what we want. So Rav Shalom said, okay, now I'm staying long term. I have to pay rent. Until now, I didn't pay rent. But now I plan on staying a long time. I have to pay rent. What do you think my grandfather said? Of course not. No way. I'm not going to take a penny from you. It's our cover. It's our honor. You could stay here for free. And Rav said, no, I insist. I have to pay. And my grandfather said, no. Rav said, if you don't let me pay, I'm going to leave. Because now I have, I have somewhere else to stay. So you have to let me pay. So my grandfather said, okay, fine, fine. Okay, calm down. You, you could pay. I'll let you pay. So Rav said, how much? So you would think that my grandfather said, in like, I don't know, a dollar a dollar for a whole month. My grandfather gave him a very, very high price. A very high price. Who does that remind you of? That says, oh, for free, for free, for free. And then at the end, Ephraim, right? So it's like, so Absalom couldn't complain because here he insisted on paying and now my grandfather charges him like a very high price. He couldn't say anything. He ended up staying for six months. Six months. This was without his wife and kids. Six months he was collecting for for uh, and he gave shiurim different places and collected money. He ended up staying for six months. At the end of the six months, it was time for him to go back to Yerushalayim, go back to Eretz Yisrael. 
when he was ready to leave, my grandfather took an envelope out of his pocket and he said, these are the exact bills that you gave me. I did not spend a penny of it. I never thought for a moment to keep the money. It's not like I spent the money and now I'm reimbursing you. These are the exact money bills. These are the exact bills that you gave me. I never thought for a second to keep it. And it's all yours. Rab Shalom said, I have to ask you a question. If you never intended on keeping the money in the first place, why did you charge me so much money? You know that you charged me a very high price. It was very expensive. Why? Why did you charge me so much if you weren't going to keep the money anyways? So my grandfather was very smart. My grandfather said, I knew that if you pay me a lot of money, you're going to make yourself at home. You're going to help yourself to doubles. You'll help yourself to the refrigerator as much as you want. You'll make as many phone calls as you want. Back then, it wasn't unlimited talk and text. It was every phone call costs money. You had to pay per per phone call per minute. But if you're paying a lot of money, listen, I'm entitled. I'm paying good money. I can make as many phone calls as I want. I bedavka charged you a lot of money, but I wasn't planning on keeping any of it. It's all for yours. It's all it's all yours. And very very smart. And they embraced and they hugged. And Abshalom left. Now, when Abshalom left, he said he he came by airplane. But he said the Tuma of America. He can't. He needed to like mellow. He needed to like chill out. He couldn't just like fly back to Eretz Yisrael and just come into Yushalayim after being in America for six months. So he went by boat. He went by boat, which takes about a month. I wouldn't suggest it to anyone here. You go by boat from America to Eretz Yisrael. He needed to just like you know, get back to himself, you know, to prepare for the Kedushah of Eretz Yisrael. After he left, after a week or two, my grandfather missed Rav Shalom so much, he couldn't be without Rav Shalom. They became such best friends that they might, he couldn't exist without Rav Shalom. He was going crazy. So what did he do? He didn't have a passport. He and my grandmother quickly got passports for themselves, like they expedited, they did it quickly, and he went by airplane to Eretz Yisrael to meet Reb Shalom. Now, by airplane takes 12 hours, which is uh, long enough. It's much, much quicker than by boat. And he landed in Eretz Yisrael together with my grandmother even before Reb Shalom got to Eretz Yisrael. When Reb Shalom left by boat, my grandfather didn't even have a passport yet. He got a passport, a flight, and he flew to Eretz Yisrael, and he was there before Reb Shalom docked. And he met, when the, when the boat was about to dock, he met Reb Shalom's wife and the kids, and they introduced themselves. You know, we're the crones. Oh, you're the crones. We heard so much about you because Rav Shalom would send letters back to Eretz Yisrael. Come, Rav Shalom is about to come off the boat. You'll come greet him. My grandparent, my grandfather said, no, you're his wife and kids. You haven't seen him in six months. You go first. We'll stay in the back. We'll stay in the back. When After you finish greeting him, we'll come forward. And Rav Shalom came off the boat and he spent some time with his wife and kids. And then his wife and kids told him a big surprise. They said, your best friend is here to see you. And Absalom said, no, 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 no. You don't realize. I have a new best friend and that best friend is in America. And they said, no, 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 you don't realize. Your best friend from America is here to see you. And then my grandparents came forward and Absalom and my grandfather embraced and hugged and that's how the relationship started. The sad part of the story is that on that trip to Eretz Yisrael, the only time that my grandfather was in Eretz Yisrael, he started not feeling well, and he had to cut his trip short. He flew back to America with my grandmother, of course. He went to the doctor, and that's when he was diagnosed with Yanamachla. 
And that story happened in 1965, and he was nifter in 1966. He was sick for less than a year. My father was learning in Yeshiva Tarvadas. My father had to leave the Yeshiva, and my grandfather, who realized what was happening, taught him to be a mohel at the age of 21. Uh, people look at me, and they tell me, oh, you look so young, you know. So my, my father was 21 when he became a mohel, and my grandfather had to teach him, and my grandfather passed away at, when my father was 21 at the, in 1966. And every time their Absalom came back to America, he always stayed by my grandmother's house as a Karasatayv. And one time he even came for the Pesach Seder. He was in America over Pesach. And at the Pesach Seder, my grandmother was at one head of the table and Absalom Shadron was at the other head of the table. And my father sat next to Absalom as a Bachar. My father was still not married yet at that point. And that's how the relationship started. Then eventually, all, my father and all my aunts and uncles got married. So then, of course, my Rav Shalom couldn't stay by my grandmother anymore. That's Yichud. Of course, that's not, not possible. So he stayed by my uncle in Flatbush, not, uh, not far from here, on Avenue M. I think my, my uncle still lives. And, uh, and I think M and 8th, I think. So where are we here? Now, we're on Ocean Avenue between L and M. So it's Mamash, uh, 12 blocks away, not far away. That's where Rav Shalom stayed, by my, by my uncle, in, in the basement. But that's how that relationship started. And if I may say so myself... My father really changed the world because the writing and the speaking. Now it's like Pasha. You're like, oh, you got a guest speaker. Where did that come from? The guest speaker and the, and all the storybooks. My father started all that. My father did that in America, but he got that from Absalom, and he only got that from my grandfather. So what my grandfather was able to accomplish, and because he didn't just sit back, oh, you know, I wish Absalom would stay by me. No, 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 wish. He was proactive, and he did it and he decided that this is what's important to me I know this is important and I'm going to do it and I'm going to I'm going to grab the opportunity whatever whatever it takes we have time for one more story yeah one more story quickly this story happened with my mother's side of the family you learned Jewish history I imagine so you learned about the Holocaust and you learned about Kristallnacht a little bit I imagine so my great-grandmother, my mother's mother's mother, was in Vienna during Kristallnacht. And they lived there. My grandmother was a little, a little girl. And not a little girl, but she was a, she was a teenager. And they, she realized, my great-grandmother realized that this is terrible. And terrible things are going to happen. And my great-grandfather told her, as I'm sure a lot of you have learned, they're like, oh, no, nothing's going to happen, don't worry, nothing, nothing's going to be, you're just overreacting and you're being scared for nothing. And my great-grandmother said, no, 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 no. we're leaving. We're escaping. And then her, her brothers, she was like, my great-grandmother was like this tall, like very, very short, and her brothers were like 6'6". Six, six. And they were on the soccer team, they were very popular, but then they got arrested, and my, grandma, my great-grandmother realized, listen, if they're so popular and they're getting arrested, this is not good. They had to get protexia to get them out of jail. And she said she got visas and a train ticket and a ticket to the boat, and they're escaping, and they're all leaving. And my great-grandfather said, you're overreacting, I'm not coming, you're crazy, you're, you're, you're being weird, and nothing's going to happen, we're just going to run away, and you know, we know from what's going on now in Ukraine, people run away, they, they leave whole lives behind them, we're not doing it. And my great-grandmother said, we're doing it, and I, I have tickets, and we're leaving. And it came the morning that it was time for, her, time for everyone to escape, and my mother always imitates, and my, my great-grandfather said, I'm not going. He made himself a breakfast, some eggs and coffee, opened up the newspaper and said, you're overreacting and we're not leaving. And my great-grandmother said, Kultuv, 
goodbye. And she took my grandmother and her two siblings, and they left. They left the house. Now picture it for a moment. You have a man sitting in a very nice house with a newspaper and a nice delicious breakfast, but his wife and kids are gone. And his wife and kids are not coming back. So what's the point of the breakfast? Like, what's the point of the nice house? Does your, your whole life just walked out the door. His wife and kids just left. What do you, so he ran after her. He said, okay, I'm coming. Uh, I'm coming. And she packed the suitcase for him already. She knew that that would happen. And they escaped. And my grandmother always would say that they're the only family that they know of that everyone in the family survived. All the families that they knew from Vienna had somebody that did not survive the war. But they're the only family that she knew of that everyone survived. And she saved the entire family. Where did they all escape to? They went to Shanghai. That's where everybody ended up. They went to Shanghai. Now, when they were in Shanghai, my great-grandmother, they were always involved in food. She was a caterer, and she had a restaurant in Shanghai. And which yeshiva was learning in Shanghai at the time? The Mir. And my grandfather was a bacher at the time. He was not learning in the Mir, but he tagged along with the Mir. And what the way it was, was that the boys would come to the restaurant, they would get food from the restaurant, and yeshiva would pay the restaurant. And my, gra- my great-grandmother had this restaurant. And my grandmother, my mother's mother, was 16 at the time. And what is she going to do? There's no school. She helped out in the restaurant. She was a waitress. She cooked, and uh, she helped out in the restaurant. And it happened one time that there was an air raid siren. There was a bomb. That was a missile or something. That was, there was some type of attack. What's a person supposed to do? What's the safest thing to do when there's an air raid siren? I'm almost finished. Was an air raid siren? No. Okay, good. Um, so you're all supposed to jump underneath the table. And the way it happened was they were in the restaurant and everybody jumped underneath the table and my grandmother and my grandfather ended up underneath the table. And that was their first date. That's where they met. <laughs> they met underneath the table and they ended up getting married in Shanghai. They got married in Shanghai. My grandmother was 16. My mother has a picture of her at the wedding. She was 16 at the time. And uh, that's, where, that, that's where they met. And then eventually they made their way to San Francisco, like everybody made their way to San Francisco. And then my grandfather was a, a rub in Denver for many, many years. My mother, my mother is from Denver. But, but how does that happen? You say, okay, probably nothing's going to happen. I'm sure it'll be okay. No, but you take action and you realize that something is important, whether it's particular chesed. You know there's a girl in your class who is uh, feeling down a little bit. Maybe she doesn't have as many friends as it. You know what? I'm gonna, we're going to go out on a cholamite trip. I'm going to invite her. No, but what are the other girls in the class going to say that I'm friends with her? I don't care. This is important. I know that this is the right thing. I know if it's the right thing. I dive in a very, very long Amidah, a Shmona Esrei. And uh, what are the girls going to say? You know, it looks like I'm very from me. I don't care what other people are going to say. I know that this is the right thing. I know that this is the way I could have Kavanah by, by, by my Tefillah, by my davening. That's what I'm going to do. And we can't be worried so much about what other people say. As long as we know we have our moras, we have our teachers, we have our rebbeim, we have our gedolim telling us what is right and what we are supposed to do, you do it. You do what's right, we know what's right, we're told what's right, and we don't have to worry about everything else. You live life to the fullest. Be'ezat Hashem. All of you, I wish you all a chag kosher v'sameach. You're going to accomplish a lot over the, your vacation and the rest of the school year, and uh, you'll give your parents and your teachers a lot of nachas. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org. <laughs>